How I love your word, how it lights my path, how it guides my way. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 2 and verses 1 to 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Let's pray for David. Lord, I thank you so much for David. I thank you for all the wisdom that you've given him. I pray now that the power of your spirit will just anoint the words that he brings and may they come and give life to us and share with us all the things that you want to say to us through him this morning. Bless him now as he talks to us. Amen. Amen. Our um, Beckenham Forest Hill house group uh, met just before Christmas. And as I knew that the passage for Christmas Day would be from Luke's Gospel. And you probably all know that uh, the stories of Jesus' nativity and birth are only found in Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel. They're not in Mark and John. They start elsewhere. And as I knew in, on Christmas Day we were going to deal with the nativity from um, Luke's Gospel, I thought, I, I happened to be leading the house group that night, I thought, why don't we concentrate on the Matthew version and deal with the visit of the Magi? Now, at that time, I didn't know I was going to be preaching today, and I also didn't know that the passage that was chosen was the visit of the Magi. So, if you find any fallacies in what I say, attribute them to me. If there are any pearls of wisdom, you need to speak to the house group and encourage them. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem means house of bread. And of course, Jesus stated that he was the bread of life, and that whoever comes to him shall not hunger, and he who believes in him shall never thirst. That's in John's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 35. Now, this is something I didn't know. There are two places called Bethlehem in the Bible. One is about um, seven miles south of Jerusalem, and it's called Bethlehem in Judea. The other Bethlehem is in the north of the country, and when Joshua was allocating the various territories to the different tribes, he allocated the Bethlehem in the north of the country to the tribe of Zebulun. But the Bethlehem that we're talking about is the Bethlehem in Judea. And Bethlehem was where the patriarch Jacob buried his wife Rachel when she died. Bethlehem is where Ruth, in the book of Ruth in the Bible, marries Boaz. Bethlehem is where David, who later became the king of Israel, was born and grew up. And you probably know the story about how when he was a fugitive, fleeing from the wrath of King Saul, that he once said to his men, oh, if I could only have a drink of water from the well that is in Bethlehem. And three of the men, the, the strongest, most able men in his sort of um, gathering of followers, they go secretly to the well at, at Bethlehem and they get water and they bring it to David. And David can't drink it because it's been brought to him at the potential cost of their lives and he pours it on the ground. It is too precious to drink. Later, and again, I didn't know this, later on, quite a long time after the reign of David and Solomon and the others, there's a king called Rehoboam, and he decides to turn Bethlehem into a fortified city, um, and that you'll find in the book of Chronicles. Because Jesus was brought up in Nazareth, not brought up in Bethlehem, some people had difficulty accepting him as the Messiah, because they said, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, has not, and he, because Jesus had been brought up in Nazareth and Galilee, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee. Doesn't the scriptures say that um, Jesus is going to be where David comes from and, and Bethlehem? Now we come to the story of the Magi. They probably came from Persia or modern-day Iran. I mean, there's obviously some... I, I can't say with absolute certainty, but it seems likely. And that originally they were Medes, and there was an empire of the, Merge, the, the Medes and the Persians, and the, eventually the Medes lost out to the Persians. And so they became the equivalent of the priests and Levites in Jewish society. They were the holy men, the wise men, the scholars in the society of the Medes. Later on, as time went on, they became degraded, and you've got the story of Simon Magus, comes from Magi, in the Acts of the Apostles, who was a sorcerer. Um, but at that time, 
um, they were still these sort of looked up to scholars, wise men, things like that. They were probably not kings, even though we sing, we three kings of Orient are, see we follow yonder star. And I'll come to why people thought they might be kings later. Um, they studied the stars and they were astrologers. I'll come to the whole thing about astrology later. But the heavens were so ordered that something that was new they interpreted as a significant effect, event, as, as something uh, where God has got his hand on it. Now, when I was 18, it was compulsory for all males to do two years military service. And I chose, um, you had to get to have pass an intelligence test to get into the RAF. Uh, I can tell you the intelligence test was uh, something that it was hard to fail. Um, <laughs> But you still had to pass it to get into the REF, and if you, if you failed it, then you were destined for the army. I think it was quite hard to get into the Navy, too, but um, I'm sorry if you've got any military men here who are um, dishonored by that statement. But, um, so I chose the REF, and I was called up to serve in the REF, and then uh, they said, in this sort of thing, they said, who would like to be air crew? And I stuck my hand up. I was the only one in this hall of about 40 to 50 people doing this intelligence test who wanted to be aircrew. And so, to my thing, I was eventually called to do various tests, and, um, this, and after tests and square bashing in this, I was selected to go to Canada for a year to train to be a navigator of aeroplanes. Now, you may think this is totally irrelevant, but I'm going to come to what... <laughs> Part of being a navigator, you have to know what the stars are. And so in, included in the course of being a navigator, you had to learn all about the stars. Not about every star, but about most of the constellations and how bright they were and this sort of thing. And there used to be one test. I mean, when you're navigating a plane, obviously, if you're, if you're fortunate, you can look down at the ground below and, and identify where you are. But if you've got cloud underneath you, you still might be able to see long distance to a mountain or a lake or something you can identify on the map, and you can take a position line from it with a, with a compass, right? And so that can plot you on a line. Or there are loads of radio stations that you don't know um, which send out their code signal in Morse code. And so you have to learn Morse code. You, can, you hear the, 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 the radio signal from, on the Morse code, and you can identify on your map where that radio station is, and you can take a position line with a radio compass. But the test that they all gave us, which we all had to pass, was we had to assume you had thick cloud underneath and you couldn't see anything. You couldn't, um, your radio had gone bust, and you had to navigate entirely by the stars. And... Um, we were, I was talking, these were five-hour flights. You, did, you, flew, you started off from Winnipeg, and you flew one leg, then you did another leg, and then another leg. And you had to navigate the whole of that using nothing but the stars. And the pilots, <laughs> it might have been clear underneath, they knew where, where we were. Um, and so ultimately, you were then marked on this. But we were given a book, a thick book, which had all the stars that you were going to use to navigate in, and where they would be, what their elevation would be, what their, at, at every particular time, 
and what their position line would be, so that you could calculate that if you took a shot on a star, you were on a line somewhere on it, right? And so what you did, of course, was you took three star shots at 120 degrees this way and 120 degrees that way, and you hoped that all your three lines would go through a point, but they didn't. <laughs> what happened was that they formed a little triangle, and the smaller the triangle, the better was your, your shooting, right? And then you knew you was, that <clears throat> 10 minutes ago you were at a point in that triangle. I couldn't believe just how, how people could give you a book that had all the stars and all their elevations at all the different times. And this was before computers, you know? So somebody was using adding machines or mathematical machines or whatever it was, and they produced this complete book. The, our, the stars are so ordered in their thing that they can predict them. And astronomers can now go back 100 years, 1,000 years, and predict where stars would have been at that particular time. That's how ordered the heavens are. What was the star that these wise men saw? Halley's Comet, which comes around every 66 years, would have been visible on Earth in 11 BC. There was a conjunction of the planets Jupiter and Saturn in 7 BC. Whatever we may think about astrology, the Magi got it right. What they followed on that star eventually led them to Jesus in Bethlehem. And I'll come to astrology later. We are guessing what the star went. Now, I don't want to disturb many of you, but it's not very likely that Jesus was born in zero, year zero. Um, it's much more likely... Um, well, one of the reasons why we say it's not very likely is that the Herod that is mentioned died in 4 BC, right? And so if Jesus was alive when the Herod that was mentioned died in 4 BC, he was probably born about 6 or 7 BC. Um, I'm sorry if that disillusions you, but uh, the Bible never claims that it, it was the, um, what do they call it, the Gregorian calendar that did all this prediction, and they got their math slightly wrong, right? <clears throat> Astronomers can't predict what this star was. Was it this conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn at about 7 BC? And that was it, that they followed, or they started to follow, and then the child was um, born a bit later. We are guessing what the star was. We can't predict it. One reason why they might have been called kings are because of three references in one in the Psalms and two in Isaiah, which are the, the, the one in the Psalms is in Psalm 72, which is talking about the righteous king. And it says, Let the kings of Tarshish and the islands bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. So that they're sort of saying, Well, that probably means that they were kings, right? In Isaiah, verse 49 and verse, sorry. Isaiah 49, verse 7, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes shall also bow down, because of the Lord who is faithful, 
the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. And the third one reference is Isaiah 60 and verse 10. And foreigners will build up your walls and their kings will minister to you. So people have taken that these verses from um, the Old Testament apply to the visit of the Magi and so they call them kings and so um, kings have been doing. I don't actually think they were kings. I think they were um, holy scholars, holy in their terms of holiness. Right, the Herod who's mentioned here is known as Herod the Great, and he's the one who I think history has been able to prove to its best that he died in 4 BC. He was of mixed race, half Jew and half Edomite. Edom is um, the land to the south of the Dead Sea. Under the Roman jurisdiction, he'd been in power for about 40 years, and he had some good points. He kept peace and order, maybe by ruthless means. Um, Syria used to have a ruler called Assad. They still have one called Assad, but the previous Assad had been in power for many years. And uh, when they had a vote, he got 99% of the vote. But it, it was a ruthless dictatorship of his, and he kept, but he kept peace and order in Syria at that time. Herod was a great builder. He built the temple in Jerusalem. In times of financial difficulty, he lowered taxes so that people could afford to pay. And in the famine that occurred in 25 BC, he melted down his own gold plate to buy corn for starving people. So he had, um, perhaps it was things to benefit his reign, but he had some good points. But... But he was very suspicious of people who threatened him. He murdered his wife, Marianne, and her mother, Alexandria. He had his eldest son, Antipater, assassinated. He also had two other sons, Alexander and Aristobulus, assassinated. You could see that, that these people might have been people who would threaten his power. Um, and so he was getting rid of anyone who was going to be thing. The Roman Emperor Augustus at the time said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than his son. You do realize that the Jews don't eat pork, so pigs were <laughs> very safe. And, but there was also a pun in the words, and I'm not a Greek scholar, so I've just read this. But uh, in Greek, hus, H-U-S, is the word for pig, and Huios, H-U-I-O-S, is the word for son. So Augustus was using this pun on pig and thing uh, to say that it was safer to be Herod's pig than his son. The Magi, when they reach Jerusalem, go to the official channels. They go to the King Herod and the religious rulers of Judah, and all of them feel threatened. Most powerful people in our society and everything, want to retain their power and privilege. You can see it in, in government in our very own days. What happens when people who've got power and privilege um, lose it and what they want to do? And think. You, you can probably make your own assumption from it. The Jews were always expectant that the Messiah, a powerful ruler, 
who would lead them to success and freedom would come. But this might threaten the power of the existing Jewish leaders. Herod might have thought that what the Magi were heralding might be the Messiah and that the Messiah would replace him over his power. Now the prophecy about the Messiah comes in the book of Micah where it says, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod was cunning, and he says, Go and make careful search for the child, and when you've found him, report to me that I may come and worship him. We think that there were three magi because there were three gifts. It's not stated in the Bible how many magi there were. Eastern tradition says that there were 12 magi. Later legends give these uh, magi names. I just say legends. Um, Melchior, who brought gold, associated with Jesus being a king. Caspar, who bought frankincense, associated with Jesus being a priest and the incense rising to God. And Balthazar, who brought myrrh, associated with embalming bodies and that Jesus was going to die for us. These are legends. They're not in scripture. They're very good. I'm sure they're great for nativity plays and things like that. Um, but they're just legends, the thing. The star, you know, it's very easy to think that every day these magi got up and there was the star and they just went on another way. I don't think it was like that. I think they saw this star in the east, whatever it was, and they thought this is a portent of some great person coming. And so they set off on the journey and they don't see the star again until it comes over Bethlehem. That's what I think happened. So they were moving in faith. They believed this, and they moved in faith. And that's the lesson that I would learn from these magi. Now, they actually got it right. They may have got it right from the, for the, wrong, from the wrong means, but they got it right. And so they went on with this. And the star leads them to the house that Mary and Jesus are in. Not the stable. It says very clearly in the scriptures, it's the house that uh, Mary and Jesus, it doesn't mention Joseph actually in the scripture, it just says the house that Mary and Jesus are in. And they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy and they fell down and worshipped him and opening their treasures, they presented the gifts to him. The Magi, amongst other things, besides their learning and their scholarship, were astrologers who believed that you could read signs from heaven in the stars. And don't we have it in all our newspapers at this present day? Um, the people who give you your horoscope, don't they? And I always loved the story of the newspaper editor who called in the, go, the guy who wrote his horoscope in for the paper, and he, he said to him, um, you know what I'm going to tell you already. Um, you're fired. Many would say that we can learn a great deal from astronomy, but astrology is superstitious nonsense. 
the astrology followed with faith led them to where the Christ was. The Later, when they see, what, what, sorry, what I really want to say is that we may get things wrong, but God speaks to us in the language that we can understand. We may have got the thing wrong, but God would lead us in something that we can, and I believe that he led the Magi in something that they could understand. And God does that all the time. Mary has the angel Gabriel coming to her. She could understand that, and, he, and she's told that she's going to have this birth by, of a child through the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, he speaks to in dreams. Dreams about taking Mary as his wife, but also later to, to leave where they're living in um, Bethlehem and go to um, Egypt. He could breathe dreams and he put his faith in the dreams and he went in it. He speaks to the shepherds by an angelic visit and then a whole choir of angels come and then they go down, they accept what they're seeing and they go down into thing. He speaks to Magi by the stars. He makes speak to us by revelation, by prophecy, by the scriptures, by visions, in prayer, by pictures, by dreams, something that you and I are willing to listen to and take heed. The major, the major later on have a dream that tells them not to go back via King Herod, because um, Herod's going to threaten the baby. My final points are, are we listening to the Lord? The Lord will speak to us in a language that we understand. I don't mean he'll speak in English. I mean he'll speak to you. If, if you believe that the Lord speaks to you in pictures, he'll probably speak to you in pictures. If, he, if you believe the Lord can speak to you from the scriptures, as you read the scriptures, you will see things that you, maybe you'll pick out just for you. If you think he's going to be um, by dreams, you'll take your dreams seriously and you'll write them down and see how you think and you'll pray over them. But whatever it is, the Lord is wanting to speak to each one of us in a language that we will take seriously. It's no use him speaking to, to you in dreams if you think, oh, it's just a dream. And it's no use him speaking to you in a picture. If someone gets up and gives a picture, if you think, oh, that person, they're always giving pictures. Do you understand what I mean? You can let doubt stop you hearing the word of God for you. Are we listening to the Lord? Are we willing to bow down before Jesus and worship him? That's what these... Scholars, these learned men, the Magi, came and they were willing to bow down and worship him. Probably in their own country, people would have bowed down to them because they'd have been, you know, the powerful people in, the, in their own country. And they come down and they bow down before a young child, let's say, I don't know how long it was after the actual birth, but a young child, prob well, 
probably less than two. Um, and they bow down and worship him. Do we expect Jesus to speak to us? You can live a life without expecting anything. You know, you just do your thing. But do you expect that Jesus will speak to us? Do I expect that Jesus will speak to me personally? And then when we hear, are we willing to obey? It's, um, and what I want to say to you is we're not always certain of what he is saying to us. We have to go on in faith. And sometimes we'll get it wrong. But sometimes, wonderfully, we get it right. And we've, we've heard correctly, we've heard the thing, we've stepped forward in faith, and it's proved that the Lord has either led us in a way or prevented us from getting into certain danger or whatever have you. I have had experiences where I've heard what the Lord has said to me and I've obeyed, and only later, when I say later, I'm talking about 10 months later, did I realize how the Lord was leading me. So I'd, I'd taken this action in faith. I didn't have any assurance that it was the right thing till 10 months later. And then I saw how the Lord had led me in that. I have had experiences when I've heard what the Lord has said to me and I've obeyed, but I have never really known why the Lord told me that, right? And I live with the fact that it may not be necessary for me to know the reason. We all want the Lord to say something to us, and then we do it, and then we can see the reason, and it's great. And he does do that sometimes. I'm not saying he doesn't do it. He does. But sometimes he expects you to live on by faith in what he's already told you, and maybe you'll never, ever know why he's told you to that. But it's my belief that all who want to follow Jesus can and will hear the Lord if we are listening for him. Mostly, we have to live by faith, not sight. We want to live by sight, but the call is to live by faith, to listen, to hear, to be obedient to the Lord, and then live by faith until it either comes true quickly or a long time or never as far as we know. But it, it, it was there. Amen. Oh, That's your living word.